From Baltimore, Maryland, this is The Stoop Sessions, a One Hope podcast. Join us for conversations about ministry on The Stoop. Learn more about our work at www.onehope.gives. I have another, I feel like another inside story on what PJ did earlier today with Mark Dever. I feel like I have two PJ points of my own. I'm interested to hear those okay. PJ points. I'm curious. Okay. You probably have heard it because I repeat the same things because they matter to me. <laughs> All right. But I'm going to say it anyway. Can I go for this yeah. now? So one, I don't know if you remember, but you preached a sermon at chapel once. And I think it was on faithfulness of like being in church. Maybe it was Ephesians 5. I'm not sure. You reference Ephesians 5 a lot. And then um, at the end, you put mics up. And I was like, what is he doing? And you're like, all right, Q&A time, which has never happened to a, ch- a chapel before to me ever. And so in that time, people started asking about church, the importance of it. And I was too shy to walk up there because I'm like, I'm not getting up on I'm not asking him a question. But afterwards, you may not remember this, I found you and I was with my friend Hannah and we I was asking questions and you were um, like, I'm not really sure your particular situation. I don't know if I can tell you what to do. And I kept badgering the ask, well, what about this? And what about this? Which is ironic because Mark Dever said you did that to him today. Yeah, it wasn't on a decision of marriage, but it was, should I leave my, my, my church and, and go to another church? And how do I think about that when it's not a matter of sin? And yeah. so I can say that you ended up writing articles about it later, but um, you shared a lot of words of wisdom with me. And what's funny is I think it helped me make my decision now then and in hindsight i'd make a different decision based on the same information wow so thanks for that i remember that conversation was that the first time we met though yeah or have we... i think okay. i walked up to you and you may have known um hannah and i was just like hey you don't know me but i've heard about you so here's my question you yeah. seem like you can answer well this. it came from pete vargas who tweeted um that this generation doesn't know what it means to be committed to a church. Mm-hmm. And he was, he's the one who's in charge of the chapel speakers at masters. And I, and we went to college together. I just yeah. tweeted him back. I was like, if you ever invite me to, to masters, I'll bring it, you know? And, and so it, he invited me. And so then I also wanted to make sure there's Q and a, cause I knew that it was just not what masters people are used to. Yeah. So I was like, refreshing. Hey, can we have Q and a after? So I could just, I could preach hard and then just let them come at me if they want to. So it's great. It was great. Well, welcome to the soup sessions. Yeah. My name is Joel Kurz. I'm Stephanie Greer. And I am PJ Tobian. And what does PJ stand for? Uh, Peter John. Peter John. Yes. That's good. Are you named after anyone special? I am. I'm after, I'm named after my two grandparents, my two grandfathers. My, my dad's dad died a few hours before I was born. So I was named after him, the Peter. Mm -hmm. And then my mom's dad is John. So, so the kids in my church call me uncle PJ. Uncle PJ. Oh, really? For pastor. Pastor Pastor Joel. Joel. And they don't want to just call me pastor Joel because that's too formal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So somehow Uncle PJ has stuck. So we're sitting here in PJ Tobias's office. Yes, we are. It's the stoop on the go. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We're in California at Bethany Eric, Baptist Church. Yep. And man, you've got like pictures in here of you. Uh, what's what year is this with uh, with that's Piper? Chapel. It looks like that's you Biola Chapel. This looks like you are mentoring John Piper in this picture coming alongside John, right? Piper. Like John Piper is this eager yeah, and you're like little Piper, kid and you're like, I'm going to help this guy Christ. out. Yeah. That's so true. you taught Piper everything he knows. <laughs> Scandal. That's great. We've got a Mark Dever picture. What's this right here? That's a pastoral internship, spring 2008 at Capitol Hill Baptist church. Yeah. What year was that? That's oh, spring 2008. You did say that, didn't yeah. you? And that's Come Ross on, Shannon. That's Ross Shannon. There's Ross Patrick is a Shiner. good friend of ours. He is a friend of ours. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Patrick Schreiner, Mark Collins, Justin Leakty, and Travis Reimer. Wow. All right, what else? We've got R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur, pastor. 
That Percy is Sproul, that, yeah, that's Truth and Life conference at the Masters University in two thousand one, two thousand two. I was I was RC Sproul's driver for a week. Okay. Wow. No pressure. We actually got You've into an argument about something. It was really funny. What did you argue about? <laughs> about about desiring God and Christian hedonism. I was explaining to him what John Piper meant by Christian okay. hedonism. He didn't like God. it. He didn't like well, so he didn't like the book. But I bought the book at Masters because he blurbed it. Him and MacArthur blurbed it. So I'm driving around. He's like, yeah, yeah, I like the book. I just don't really agree with the whole Christian hedonism thing. I'm like, that's what the whole book is. Like, it's a whole premise. Yeah. So I, it just started making me think like, so wait. So R.C. Sproul liked or did not like Desiring God by John Piper? He blurbed it as a true manual of spirituality. That's what he said. Okay. So I think he liked it. Yeah. But he disagreed with the that thesis. Word. Of Christian hedonism. Which is what the whole book is about. Right. Confusing at best. As a 21-year-old, I was just, my worlds were colliding. I thought when you guys blurb, it just means- Go get this now. Yes. Um, so, we started, yeah. so I was trying to explain to him- You're trying to help R.C. Sproul understand how to read a book. He's not the sharpest tool in the show. <laughs> I cannot. That's a 21 year. Yeah. I even went to John MacArthur to ask him what he thought about our conversation <laughs> about what Piper said and whether Piper was wrong or right. It was just, anyways, that, that, that's the 2001. Man. I love it. And you got a photo, so it turned January. out all right. Yeah. And then the la still, let's see the last one, the one in the center. It looks like something special is happening. You're being prayed for. Right there at the bottom. Yeah, that's yeah. when I was being installed as a pastor here at Bethany Baptist Church in November 2014. Man. So tell us about that process. Like, tell us the story of church revitalization. Maybe you can even introduce yourself. I didn't even, we didn't even get there. Well, yeah. I mean, and speaking of other pictures too, uh, we just walked down the hallway yeah. outside of his office and there's pictures of like this growing congregation here year at Bethany year. Baptist Church in Bellflower, California. So yeah, let's, how about you introduce yourself while telling us who is Bethany uh, Baptist Church? Sure. I don't know how far back to go with me. I was, um, Born in 1980, saved in 1989 out of a Roman Catholic background. Wow. Um, my mom first and then family started as a child, but we were devout Roman Catholics. Then um, call to ministry around at least a personal sense of a call to ministry mm -hmm. at 12 years old in 1992 wow. uh, during an altar call where, yeah. And then, uh, past, then wanting to pursue the pastorate after high school graduation. Uh, there's another story there. I, I actually didn't want to be a pastor. I, I got to say this a little bit. Yeah, you got to so, go for it. Yeah, so, um when, when I sensed the Lord calling me during an altar call to be a pastor, sense, uh, my, my personal sense, whether I was right or wrong, thinking God wanted me to be a pastor, I was like, no, Lord, I don't want to be a pastor. Like, pastors are poor. Mm. I want to be a rich deacon like my dad. Because mm, mm. deacons have so much money. Well, my dad did, and he was a deacon, and yeah. we're middle class, and I thought, our pastor's poor, my dad is not, but my dad is sold out for Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Lord Jesus, I want to be sold out for what you. What did your dad do for a living? He was a veterinarian. Oh. Yeah. yeah, and he owned his own uh, pet hospital that was doing really, really well. They they charge so much to do what six stitches on a dog's leg. Listen, first of all, your dog has needed so many stitches. That's why there's anger right now. Anyway, back to so you. many stitches. But so, so 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 a love of money. And then after graduating high school, um, the Lord really gripped my heart. After yeah, after graduating that summer, with the joy of knowing Him in His Word. I mean, I always loved the Lord, yeah. but having more and more of a burden of that, I just kind of wasted my high school years by not being. As intentional, I shared the gospel here and there and stayed away, stayed clear from the big sins. Yeah, but I didn't live really sold out for the Lord as boldly as I thought I should have. Now, now that summer, so then, so I was a kinesiology major at Cal Poly Pomona. That's what I declared because um, my original ambition was to be an NBA player. Mm. But I'm Filipino American and I'm like five nine. And hey, Bugsy Mose. 
Muggsy Bogues. Muggsy Bogues. Ah. Um, yeah. And uh, they love basketball in the Philippines. They do. So wanting to do that, realizing I can't do that anymore. So I wanted to be the sports medicine doctor to take Gary Vitti's spot for the Los Angeles Lakers. So that became my focus. ambition. That That's became focus. my ambition. Hold up. Can we just, do you play basketball? I did. I tore my ACL. Oh, man. And then I got it repaired. Time. I rehabbed it for a year and I tore it again. Okay. Same ACL. All right. Twice. So, so it's, no it's, it's not repaired right now and I'm, I'm retired. Right. By, by God's uh, yeah. demand. Anyways, so God, God gripped my heart. And then all of a sudden, with that joy of wanting to know God's word and then, and then wanting other people to know it, it was so joyful that summer that I thought, I can't, I can't go into medicine. Mm. I, Lord, if you're going to keep me this happy in you, I don't wow. care how poor I am. Just stay this close to me and, and bring me this joy and help me to help others have this joy. Wow. And I'll do whatever you want, wherever you want me to go. So that was um, that senior year of high, after graduating high school. And then I just went, tried to get to the master seminary. They said, you need a bachelor's first. I'm like, what? Why do I need a bachelor's? I just, <laughs> yeah, I just, just let me get in so I could pastor. Right. Yeah. Um, but they said no. So I had to go to the master's college first, went there for three years and then went to the seminary. With okay. the aim of this is what I want to do. Pastoral ministry at this point. Wow. Program. Yeah. And you've studied again. You, you Just recently. Yeah. 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 Just so, loving so, God's so, word that much. There was, yeah, there's something very specific I was going for this most recent one in terms of just understand Old Testament, New Testament connections. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so all that to say that that was pastoral ministry. Got called to ministry there uh, in 2002 at Christian Fellowship Bible Church where I got saved. That's in West Covina where Alex Hong is now the pastor. So all that to say now, now fast forward. I did the pastoral internship in 2008 after five years Capital on staff. Church. I went there for five years. Yeah, for five months after five years pastoring with the goal to go back to that church. Okay. But changing on ecclesiology, congregationalism. So, so after that, we, we came back here to L.A. to plant a healthy church in L.A. So Fourth and Vermont is where our church was. Um, and did you visit us there? I think I did. Okay. For an, a week. So, yeah, that was in a, in a more uh, distressed community there. We were there for six years. And then um, between my wife and I, just the, the way the, the ministry demands and our family demands, it wasn't happening. It, it wasn't mm. going to work. And so I had to figure out how to make sure that my marriage and family continue in the right direction yeah. and not go the wrong direction. That's so right. we started praying about other options and, and we ended up here November, 2014. Uh, so that's November two, that picture is November two, 2014 wow. when I'm being installed as a pastor here after six years at uh, Crossview church in LA. So how did you get connected with this church? Chris Morgan from Cal Baptist university, the Dean of the school of Christian ministries there. He emailed me about this church I had tried to be an adjunct prof there on the side mm-hmm. just to kind of get a little bit more income as a church planner. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this dude started sending me all kinds of like children's ministry pastor jobs and just everything. I'm like, bro, I'm not looking for any of this. I'm just yeah. just asking about being an adjunct. And I'm not even like putting that much pressure. Anyways, this one came about while my wife and I are having these conversations and praying seriously about whether the Lord would have us redirect. Mm. And so there was a church in North Long Beach is the way they pitched it. So Bellflower is north of Long Beach, just two cities north of Long Beach, two neighborhoods. North of Long Beach. So yeah. that's how we heard about it. So when you came here, you would consider this to be a revitalization. Yes. Could you define what that means? Yeah. So every church needs health and growth and sanctification. So that's just any church needs reform. Mm-hmm. We're always reforming. I would define revitalization. So vitality is life and it needs, it needs life again. Okay. It means it's dying. So in a, a, a church that's extremely declining and almost near the point of death a dying church okay. that needs to be turned around. So like if nothing happens for the next five, 10 years, if this trajectory continues, the church is going to die. We're going to have a funeral. Yeah. So turning like working in a church like that and helping that church go back, that would be also church reform, but that's the way I would define revitalization is a church where 
where and or another way I'd say it is um, to use Second Timothy two twenty four to twenty six. It talks about this passage was key for me during mm-hmm. revitalization. It says um, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, or uh, yeah, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Mm. Perhaps God, perhaps God doesn't even guarantee it. Mm. Perhaps God will grant them repentance leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil yeah. who has taken them captive to do his will. So I might even say it's a church where there's enough members taken captive by the devil doing his will of almost killing the church. Mm. Wow. And needing needing to be patient like this and maybe God grants enough repentance in the church to turn it around. All right, so let's talk about revitalization. Yeah. Okay. Respond to this. Let dying churches die and plant churches. Um, planning is easier, faster, more effective. How would you respond to that? Let dying churches die. I think that's irresponsible. Some churches will die. I mean, a lot but, of yeah. people say that. <sighs> yeah, I, I hate to tell you that. Oh man, that's a bummer. I mean, Christ. At least, pro- at least where we're at, I hear it a lot. Yeah, just let them die. Some churches just need to die. Just let them die. Plant new churches. It's quicker. It's, it's, uh, it's easier. You don't have to work with an existing congregation less headache yeah not saying i agree i'm just asking yeah, sure it's respond? a false dichotomy in my mind it's like buy new cars not used cars like you could buy either or like it's why why do you have to say one like you know so it, it seems like that seems like a false dichotomy some churches will die christ promised to build his church as the whole mm-hmm. but churches will die even our church i mean I, I think almost every local church might die at some point you know all the new yeah. testament churches right are Right. So yeah. like in, in that regard, yes, churches will die, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't love them. And, mm-hmm. and God does turn some around. He doesn't get, again, it says perhaps God will grant them repentance, yeah. but he's telling people to serve in these churches as well. So the question is, should we love the members of those churches? Do we care about them? Mm. And should, should, or are you saying, when you say let them die, are you saying don't love them or serve them? Like the, or the best way to love them is to neglect them. Maybe that's, I mean, nobody would say that explicitly, right? What will be some benefits then of revitalizing as well, opposed to say planting a new church? So you guys are praying right now about getting a new building. Yeah. Right? And we have a building. We're sitting in a building, right? And there's another, we have an education building right here. The resources of a, of a dying of a dying church. Sure. So, I mean, first of all, these people, there are real Christians in these churches. Yeah. And Christ shed his blood mm. for mm. them. That's good. So if Christ cares for them enough to shed his blood for them, I can't just knock them and be like, oh, well, I'll just die already. You know, so, yeah. so that's first of all, I was like, Every individual Christian is precious to the Lord. And so mm. that's number one. And then number two, um, people have invested in these dying churches over this over the decades, right? They poured in money for the sake of the gospel. They built this building for the yeah. sake of spreading the gospel. Yeah. And to just let it die, who knows who's going to take over this building? There's a church building right down the street here, a Lutheran church. That's now a Hindu temple. It's literally, I mean, we could walk there. It's, a, it's yeah. like a three or four minute walk. It's literally right down my block. Yeah. So it's a Hindu temple now. Wow. Um, and, and that's kind of what got me off to, on yeah. to revitalization. Yeah. When I was at Capitol Hill, I was planting a plant and Mark took us to a Muslim mosque somewhere in the outskirts of DC and was like, look at this church. You know, so or like, look at this building. It's a mosque. He's like, what does it look like? It looks like a church. He's like, it yeah. was a church. Yeah. Mm. And then now it's a mosque. He's like, there are churches like this all over the nation. Yeah. yeah. And they need, and people are trying to plant all the time, which is not wrong, but we need, we also need to raise up pastors who are going to go into these churches yeah. and love these people and do, you know, the, 
the gentle, not quarrelsome, teaching patiently and turning these churches around for the sake of God's glory. So you get a building, you, you redeem people. Oh man, I'm just going all over the place. No, we had good. our anniversary. And again, I told you about our secretary who's yeah. been here since 1953. We're sharing testimonies about the church, right? So she raises her hand and she's in tears. And she's like, I've been here since mm-hmm. again, 1953. I've never thought a church can actually live like a family. Yeah. It's like, but we are really a family. I wow. felt that this morning when we were worshiping. Oh, it with was you guys. evident. Yeah. Such a family dynamic. It was evident, and it. I will say, um, as the congregation is singing and affirming these lyrics together, it felt like that. Wow, the work. The, uh-huh. I, I just, I was so encouraged. I'm like, I don't know these people um, necessarily, but all the angles, and they're just, they're saying, I'm affirming these words about God with you. It yeah. was, it was great, and it was evident that this was something you walked into that had, had been. Um, established, yeah. unified, yeah. Right, like you guys coming here then, and then putting you guys up with some members. For her to see stuff like that, she's like, what, who does that? Why don't mm-hmm. they get a hotel? Like, wait, our church, so people are getting rights to the airport. When people have needs, there's this email group. And she starts seeing like, you guys really care about each other. Yeah. And you really, we really are a family. Yeah. So again, there are saints like that who've been not shepherd, who haven't been shepherded well for 50 years. And then they would they would embrace Christ in this way. They would mm. be about this mm-hmm. if they would just if there would be a patient shepherd to sit with them for five or seven years yeah. and not just force them to turn right away or just wow. die already so we could take your building. Yeah, yeah. I've got so many practical applications, so but just help us get one more glimpse. Like when we're thinking thinking of what a revitalization is, give us some pictures. Yeah, uh, what are we talking about? So there's two pictures that come to my mind. One is. Church revitalizing is like trying to fix a plane that's about to crash while it's in the air. And your goal is not to turn the plane in the right direction. Your goal is just that the tr- the plane doesn't crash and you don't yeah. die. Even if you're going in the wrong direction. It's doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like just keep it afloat. Like just keep it in the air, right? So that, that's one picture. And then once you get it stable, then you can be like, okay, wait, where are we going again? Where's the destination? Gotcha. And that's like the second second phase of church revitalization, right? And so that's one picture. The other picture for a revitali- for a church revitalizer or a pastor, it's just a pastor, right? A pastor who's taking a declining, dying church mm-hmm. is, uh, and this is how all pastoring is, but it's like a chess game where someone's playing chess and they're getting beat down so bad. Their queen is gone. Yeah. They got a rook gone. Their bishops are gone. They got like three pawns left and they're like, hey, take over the game for me. And like, you have to now play the game and they they, they leave. Oh, no. And like, you're like, what? Like, like where's where's my queen? Like, yeah. Bro, like it would be good to start from scratch, church planning. Yeah. Or, but now I, I'm losing, and I lost all my pieces. But here's what I'm, here's my point: It's like you're, you're someone else is losing the game, and now you're you're stepping in. That's number one. But number two, uh, the the rules of chess are the same, mm-hmm. and strategy is the same. But everyone inherits a so, somewhat of a different chessboard. So mm. if you're revitalizing this church at Bethany Baptist Church or First Baptist Church of Norwalk, where my friend has just taken over recently, wow. that's another declining church. The principles are the same. The Bible principles, ecclesiology, the gospel. Yeah. But how you move the chess pieces, the order of operations, and the actual setup for that particular church is different every time. Mm. Yeah. And so you need to know good biblical ecclesiology, but you also need wisdom to know how to play that game or how to, how to move it in that, with that kind of specific set of challenges. One of the things that I think can be a struggle for some is not knowing what to change, when yeah. to change. So, you know, I, I know of one guy who went into a revitalization situation and he was like, man, we need to do more outreach. And they spent a good chunk of money on a big screen, plastered, plastered it on the side of their building and had movie nights on Friday nights for the, for the community. Um, another guy uh, who 
revitalization sort of situation. And um, in his first year, he was explaining to me like his big fight is the music. He's trying to trying to get rid of the hymns. They just got rid of the hymnals. They got a uh, contemporary uh, vibe and he's got some pushback. Uh, but things are going forward, you know, and I see that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking like, I'm not sure if we're always focusing on the right um, issues. Like, right. What, what battles should we be mm. fighting? What are, what are some things that are, that we need to change right away? You know, what are some things that we're like, man, this is, this is so important that we've got, it's, it's, we're willing to lose people over it perhaps. Yeah. But then other things where we're like, we can kick that can down the road and, you know, maybe we don't touch it. Yeah. So, um, I'll start with some of the basic, like kind of chess rules, right. For revitalization and really just pastoring. So here are the, here are the key questions that you need to ask. Um, the first one is what is a local church, mm. right? If you're revitalizing a church, what is a church? What is a local church? Who makes up the church? What's the mission of the church? What's its place in relationship to the kingdom? Yeah. The second question that every pastor needs to know is what are the responsibilities of a, of a church member? Mm. Like, do you have a job description ready to go right now? And it's clear. So all your members know what their job is. And what would that be? Okay, so caring for one another. Yeah. Okay. okay. Influencing each other towards Jesus. Yeah. That's what I call discipling, but it's not just your words. It's your whole life is, yeah. influence, yeah. is influencing, right? Um, then G is gospelize one another and gospelize your, your neighbors, right? And then A would be attend regularly. What are you spelling out? I'll, I'll get there when oh, I get there. Okay, so, okay. so there's attend, the attend regularly. And then the R would be recognize true gospel confessors and true gospel confessions, which means come to the members meetings. So you should be voting in people. You should be excommunicating. You should make sure we're holding down the gospel. Mm. If we need to change our statement of faith, that's our responsibility to recognize a true gospel confession and true gospel confessors. That's R. And the last one is S, which is support the church. So support, support the church and the leaders with prayer, financially, yeah. with your time, talents, resources. Yeah. So it spells out cigars. But huh. it has nothing to do with cigars. It's just my acronym that helped me remember it. Gotcha. We should be smoking cigars right now. No. Light, it, light it up. Wow. <laughs> that's good though. And here, here's a, here's a, this is why that's good is because even there, we've got to know what a member is. Yeah. You know, like if you just say members job description, I can imagine five different guys coming up with five different job descriptions. And sure. it's like creative stuff. You know, maybe yeah. they, they should belong to a small group. Uh, yeah. everybody needs to serve in the nursery, yeah. you know, all this sort of practical stuff, but yeah. it seems like you're getting at more like theological, ideological, actually, I, I should just call, call it biblical, biblical commands, commands, those are commands mm. in the Bible, That's right? right? You're yeah. teaching people to observe everything. You're Christ just commanded. pulling that out of scripture. Yeah. And clarifying that in light of the church, but going back to what is a member, like what is membership that goes back to my first question. What is a church? Mm. Cause the, the church isn't the building. It's the people. Right. What people? The members. Well, who makes, why Why is it that people and not another people, right? So mm. so a lot of pastors don't have a good definition of a local church, so they don't even know what to revitalize towards because you don't even know what a church is. Yeah. Mm. Right? You can't articulate that. You don't know if it's healthy or not because you don't know what it is, or at least you can't articulate it. So so those that, those are the first two. The, the next question would be, what what are the responsibilities of a local church as a whole? Okay. Okay, then the next question would be, uh, what is what are the responsibilities of pastors? What's mm. their job description real quick? Like, do you have that? And then what is church discipline? And what is it for and how do you practice it? And then lastly, how shall churches serve alongside other churches for the Great Commission? So you're starting from definition of church all the way out to the Great Commission with cooperation with other churches for the, for the region, for the neighborhood, and for the nations. So those are just basic ecclesiological questions that every pastor should know. And then in revitalization, when you go, Joel, to your question of like, how do you know what to do first? Right, what are we changing? Yeah, well, yeah. you need to know what is a church. So for me... The church is, my definition of a church, and there's a lot of good definitions. The way I would define it is, so who is this group? It's not just those who gather, because 
campus ministries yeah. gather regularly. It's yeah. not just who preach the gospel. Campus ministries preach the gospel. It's not just those who evangelize. It's a uh, it's an assembled group of Christians who are collectively responsible for one another's profession of and practice of faith in Jesus Christ mm. okay. in order to disciple their neighbors and the nations. That's the mission part. Yeah. But the, so who makes up this group? The, those who have the collective responsibility. So you guys hung out with our church today. We have 141 members. All of us know that we are collectively responsible for each other. Now, when you guys come from, from your church, we're happy to hang out with you, edify you, and encourage you to go deeper with your church. And we have a personal responsibility to you guys. I have a personal responsibility yeah. to you as friends, but the collective responsibility of the 141 members is for the other 141 members mm-hmm. together. So the question now on revitalization is, how do you strengthen that collective responsibility for their profession of faith in Jesus and their practice of faith in Jesus? Yeah. How do you grow them in Christ? Yeah. These, these specific people. That clarity is so helpful. Yeah, so, so that becomes, again, that's the basic rules. And then from there, now you're looking at the chessboard and thinking, okay, where is this not right? But I'll just say, in terms of, if, if anyone's listening to this and you're just starting out revitalizing a church, I would say your presence and your pulpit ministry and then your relationships are already changing the church big time. Mm. Mm, that's, that's already good. the biggest, so you don't, like, what do I need to change? You don't need to change anything. You just need to be who you are and show up every Sunday and mm. preach the word and then hang out with people and get to know them and love yeah. them and push them to Christ, that is the biggest change. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's gonna happen. It's, so it's already changing. If I just do that for the first year and yeah. do nothing else, the church is already different by year two just by virtue of someone else in the pulpit who's been preaching ex, ex, um, expositorily and preaching yeah. Christ and preaching with corporate applications because they don't hear that and preaching to non-Christians. Yeah. And then you're hanging out with them after and you're pressing the word into their lives and asking how they're doing spiritually and how they're applying the word and you're confessing sin to them and they're confessing sin back to you. Yeah. I mean, that that's just, you do that and that already shifts. Man, I got story after yeah. story. I, I remember I was sitting here, we talk about Satan here. I'm prepping a sermon and like, I get this satanic, I think satanic temptation towards like lust, just out of nowhere, it's 11 a.m. or 11 p.m. I'm here Saturday night, like typing away. And I'm like, I just have this desire to look up something. And so I call one of my members uh, who I just known for like two months. I'm like, Steve, brother, pray for me. I feel tempted to look mm-hmm. at something lustful right now. I need you to pray for me. And he's like, what? Why are you telling me? You're the pastor. I'm like, brother, I'm a Christian yeah. Yeah. and I am under attack right now. Yeah. And I'm telling you that I don't feel strong enough. I need you to pray for me and hold me accountable and ask me how I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, so he was shocked. He prayed for me. It was awkward. Uh, but eventually he got more used to me telling, calling him out. So yeah. I, calling him three months later, it's not weird anymore. Yeah. But what is that doing? That's already changing yeah. the dynamic of the church. Yeah. And it's liberating for a pastor or a team because it's saying there, there needs to be no gimmicks in this. It's actually just true accountability. I true need confession. Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Let's to fight sin. Go. Temptation yeah. is real. Satan is real. Let's go. Yeah. Right. Which is so helpful for in our context because I think you can think what what do I have to do in order to change this? But it's actually saying be a Christian. Yeah. yeah. Love Jesus, grow in Jesus, help other people grow in Jesus. Yeah. And and share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. Yeah. So biggest mistakes then that, that someone might make in a revitalization? Trying to change too many things at the same time. Okay. So what so once you start so once you get that going, right? Yeah. Then you start to I then I'll just share from my so this is anecdotal. What I did to not go crazy, when there's like 30 fires that are burning this church yeah. down, it can make you insane and just super discouraged, right? So what I did was I took out my, my laptop and I just listed all the problems in the church, everything that needs to change. And then I took the, I was like, what are, what are the top 10? I put the top 10 at the top and I ordered them in order from most important to 10th most important. Mm. Then I said, you know what? I'm just looking at number one 
and everything else I'm forgetting about. Mm. So it's like, I got a fire hose. Instead of just trying to spray the fire hose on 30 fires and get nothing done, yeah. where's the biggest and most dangerous fire? I'm just going to focus my fire hose on that fire yeah. and let everything else burn. Okay. Just let it burn. I need to put this fire out. Yeah. Okay, once that fire's out, go to the this next one. This is like a true California analogy. It yeah. hits. It is. It, it is. hits. Yeah. I'm yeah. feeling seen. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But it does hit. And what it happens hits. though is like, as you're doing it, other fires start to get put out yeah. that are on the list that you didn't even aim yeah. at as the church is growing. Because you so, see that bigger picture. Yeah, so you just go back leads. to the list and you're like, oh, I don't need to go do that one. I can start crossing out these like, oh, number yeah. seven's done and number 10 is done, even though you didn't focus on them. That's good. So you're just doing your normal pastoral ministry. Again, what's the job of a pastor? Uh, I would say the job of a pastor is poem. So here's my other acronym, poem. It's really P, put poem, two Ps. Uh, pray and preach, right? Um, ministry of the word and prayer, Acts 6, 4. So a pastor should be praying. He should be preaching. He should be overseeing the flock, watching out for them and guarding them. He's an overseer. That's his role. He should be equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for them to do discipling and, and gospelizing and loving their neighbors. Mm -hmm. And then the M is modeling mature Christianity. Because when you look at the, the qualifications, that's qualifications that every Christian is supposed to be doing. Uh, not, it's just not a pastor who can't get drunk. No yeah. Christian should be getting drunk. Yeah. It's, just, it's not just the pastor who should have one wife. Any husband in our church should only have one wife, yeah. right? So all of them is just normal Christianity. And a pastor models mm. mature Christianity. So pray, preach, oversee the flock as a whole and every individual member, equip the saints for the work of ministry and model mature Christianity. Mm. And so if you're doing that along with putting your fire hose on the biggest fire, you're going to slowly, well, you're not for sure. Again, perhaps God may grant the perhaps, repentance. He yeah, might not, Lord willing. but Lord willing, things mm. will move in the right direction, yeah. but they might not. And if they don't, you just trust the Lord and go down with the ship until the Lord calls Man, you elsewhere. That's such a, and then just trust the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Trust the Lord in all the things. But if it doesn't happen, right. trust the Lord. Yeah. How did you raise up leaders? Just practical advice. How did you raise up leaders in your church? Um, raising up leaders is a lifestyle. And so it's not something that you get to a point where like, hey, now we're at the point where we need to raise up leaders. Mm. You're just always discipling people. And you're so you're, you're putting in place the rhythms that as your church grows, you're not changing things too much as it grows. You're just doing what you've always yeah, been doing. Lifestyle. Yeah. So it's a lifestyle. So open it. So for me, it would be opening up my home. I, I will, I mean, if, if Joel and I have conversations and we're sharing how we're doing, I'm probably going to start confessing some sins to him at that point or my, my temptations on the front burner. So I'm just going to do that regularly yeah. to men. And I will do that with sisters as well in appropriate ways, but yeah. I'm so, I'm just going to be asking for prayer. I'm going to ask him for help. I'm going to ask them how so I can pray up. for them. You're saying confessing your sins is part of your leadership development of, of another individual. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, I preached this at the nine marks shepherd LA conference, but Luke, my favorite passage, Luke 22, 31 to 34, where it says, um, you know, uh, Simon, Simon, this is this is Jesus talking to Simon. Yeah. Satan has demanded you mm. to sift you like wheat, mm. but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Mm. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. And then Simon says, oh Lord, I'm ready to go to, to death for you. I'm going to go to jail. I'll go to death with you, anything. And Jesus says, um, you're going to die, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times that you know me. Mm. Okay. Peter there is sincere. He's not lying. Like, I'm going to go to jail, but I'm not really going to go to jail. I'm yeah. just telling you that because I want you to think I love you. Peter is sincere, but his sincerity, he mistakes his sincerity for security. Mm. We mm. love Jesus, but that's not enough right. wow. for your security. Yeah. You need to find your security in Christ, not sincerity. I'm about to preach this whole pastor. I'm so feeling, hold me I'm back. about to shout. Hold me back. Okay. Take so time. Let I don't me just know say, that I can. I'm so, just, we so, were so first of all, so Peter's mistakes is he underestimates Christ's warning 
he underestimates Satan. He overestimates his own con- his, his own strength, and he he mistakes his security, Sheesh. his sincerity for security. This is Dominic Smart when we get it wrong. So this is not my own insight. This is this brother. So those are four things, right? And so instead of so understand Satan's strategy, but then number two is rest in the Messiah's ministry. He says, but I have prayed for you. I am for you. Okay. I died for you. I'm your high priest. Mm-hmm. And then I prayed for you. And then he says, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He doesn't say, I pray that you'll you'll pass the temptation. I didn't pray that the temptation will go away. Now, Jesus tells us sometimes, lead us not to temptation. But here's yeah. like, so he's not even praying that. He's just, that your faith won't fail. Yeah. And then when you repent and return, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is going to let Peter get to the hottest part of the battle, lose the battle, be disappointed, defeated, and utterly broken so that he can learn how to win the war. Mm. And the way you win the war is not by resting on yourself, but on Christ. Mm. And so repentance, returning, and then strengthening your brothers in that order. Repentance first. And from a place of repentance, you'll strengthen your brothers. Because I'm either discipling people saying, look at me and my strength and draw from me. Or saying, brothers, I, have, I am weak. Mm. But I have a Christ who prays for me. Yeah. And he is for me and he's for you. Yeah. And I've turned from these sins and I'm turning from them even now and I need his help right now. Yeah. And brother, you have that same Christ. Sister, you have that same Christ. Draw from him. Let's draw from him together. Yeah. And that's how you're going to strengthen your brothers, not from your own strength, but yeah. from your repentance and clinging to Christ's strength. Even David said in Psalm 51, um, after he says, created me a clean heart, then I will teach sinners your way. Mm. But it com- your strength actually comes from your weakness and leaning on Christ's strength. So when I'm talking to people, I'm constantly, and it's not just to disciple them. It really is because I'm fighting sin in my life. Yeah. So it's not a show. It is really, I need Jesus. You need Jesus. Let's help each other follow wow. Jesus. Brother, so different than like just teaching people how to do stuff. Yeah. We're teaching people how to follow Christ. We're teaching people how to lean into Christ. As we follow and Christ. In and in a sense, like that's yeah. the whole of a revitalization work is yep. people leaning into Christ. Mm creating then a sense of spiritual family that's attractive, that church is growing and together just displaying the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause we're, we're, when I talk about modeling mature Christianity, it really comes from your love for Christ, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And your love for others. It's not like, like look at the qualifications, just check them off. Yeah. It's like, no love Jesus. And, and these are kind of the fruits of it, the results. Mm. And so, yeah, same thing with the church revitalization. It's not like, how do we get a big church with a bunch of children? That's kind of the fruit and the result it's really, how do we love Jesus and turn from our yeah. sin? And then when you get non-Christians, you're saying, hey, we're sinners too. We have a savior. You should have him too. Yeah. You know, and, and so so it's it's constantly pointing to and feeding on and clinging to Christ in real time. Yeah. And just doing that week after week, conversation after conversation. Praise God, Man, brother. Yeah. I was about to throw my shoe at you. Not in real life, but a figure She throws her shoes at me when I preach. And it's Amen. good. It's just if a, it's, it's not, a, I'm just silent. It's a thing. And he's like, are you with me? And I'm like, not yet. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. But thank you so much. Um, I think this will be helpful and encouraging and just to, to rest in actually what, what God does. It's really freeing to listen to. Thanks for being with us on The Stoop. Thanks for listening to The Stoop Sessions. Be sure to catch us next time. As One Hope exists to build healthy churches in the inner city, check us out and connect at www.onehope.gives.